Let's go ahead and open with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come and worship you and to just extol your power and know that you are our Savior, that you are mighty, that you care for us. And that we thank you for all this. We ask you to help us as we look at your word, guide and lead us in your son's name. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 2. Starting at verse 17, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. We'll see how far we actually get. <laughs> Yay, and, huh? Two, Philippians 2, 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I may also be of great comfort when I know your state. For I, am, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not, not the things which are of Jesus Christ. But I, you know the proof of him, that he, as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, as so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself will come shortly. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you a Paphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I send him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such a reputation because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service to me. So we're going to see here Paul is encouraging the Philippians and it shows his great love for them. He starts out with yea and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. You know, this wasn't just a maybe it's happened, but he had poured his life into that church. He had poured his life into the churches that he had ministered to and spent hours and days writing letters to these people. And this is when you're ministering to somebody and you're discipling somebody, you really end up doing this. You pour your whole self into them. This is the thing that mothers often do with their children. They pour their whole life into their children. You know, when you're, when you're a teacher, a pastor, or even a discipler of somebody, you pour what you know into them. You're encouraging them to be more than you are, is the ultimate hope. We all hope that our kids do better than we did in all areas of their life, physically, spiritually, uh, financially. We all hope that they do better than we do. And for us as Christians, we hope they do better spiritually, more important than anything else, that they will do better in those areas. And Paul's saying, I have rejoiced to pour into your life. And I rejoice with you in your successes. One of the greatest things is when you start teaching people spiritually and you watch them grow, you get to rejoice as you watch them grow because you see that growth. And you see that it's not totally wasted <laughs> time that you do. On the flip side, when they don't grow, you, you have that that longing in your heart, oh, if you would just grow. 
And the sad thing is, eventually they're going to grow. They might want to do it the hard way. Now, most of us are pretty hard-headed. We have to learn the hard way. We have to make our own mistakes. I was talking to somebody today, at the, uh, this last week at the prison, and she goes, well, I know that I should have been doing these all along, but I have to learn things the hard way. And I'm going, well, you should learn it the easy way. It's a lot, a lot less painful. <laughs> but, you know, how many of us do the same thing? We have to learn the hard way. We have to make the mistakes before it finally sinks into our head that it's wrong. Now, and if you're a teacher, if you're, if you're a parent, and you've tried to teach your kids not to make these mistakes, and then you watch them make the same mistakes that you told them not to make, it breaks your heart, yet you know that hopefully they'll learn from it. And Paul is saying this, I have poured myself out to you, and I rejoiced in doing it. It's not a drudgery to do the pouring out of your life and your teaching to somebody. If, if God has called you to do it, it is the greatest thing that you can do. You spend your time teaching and hoping that people grow. And then you rejoice when they grow. You mourn when they don't. But it's still a joy to do it. And then he reciprocates and says, um, for the same cause also do you joy and rejoice. They get to rejoice in their growth, and they also get to rejoice that Paul taught them. Have you thought about this? To, you know, there's this old saying that uh, when, you're, when you're a young child, your parents are the smartest people in the world. When you become a teenager and a young adult, they've gotten pretty dumb. <laughs> and then when you get older, it's amazing how smart your parents get again. <laughs> you may not think they know all the answers, but they tend to get smarter as you get, as you get older and you realize they've been there, done that, <laughs> and tried to keep you from doing it. You know, we do the same thing with our spiritual leaders. <laughs> When they pour into your heart, you go, well, you know, when I first say it, I need everything they're going to tell me. I know nothing about the Bible. I need it. Then you get a little bit of knowledge. And all of a sudden, you know more than all the people that have been trying to teach you. Seen it happen hundreds of times. I even went there where I knew, I knew the answers. And then all of a sudden, you start getting to go, I really don't know much. Now, it's an amazing thing that the more you get to know about something, the more you realize you don't know something. I've told people my definition of an expert is somebody who's beginning to understand what they don't know. Because before that, they, a lot of people think they're experts and they know everything, and they don't know hardly anything. And, but you get to a place where you start realizing, I don't know all the stuff. I don't have all the answers. I may have a lot more answers because I've studied longer, but there's still things I don't know the answers for and I'm going to be challenged for. And we all are in that boat. There's, no matter how well you know something, there's something you don't know about that topic. And Paul is saying, you're going to grow. You're going to rejoice in your teacher. Then he starts into a real personal thing. He goes, verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He says, I'm going to send Timothy. Now, if you don't know, Timothy is a disciple of Paul, basically. He's a young man, a teenager, when he starts going with, going with Paul, and he goes on the travels. And if you read the book of Timothy, he praises Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother, and says, you know, they did a good job grounding you. And he takes Timothy with him. And he teaches Timothy everything he needs to know about being a pastor in the, in the way that Paul does it. This is something we need to be doing as well, as being able to train other people up. Being able to spend time with people. 
When I was growing up, I spent all the time with my dad and the adults. He would go to church and I would go with him. And I sat and I listened. And I would listen and I would listen. And then every once in a while I would say something and many of them would look at me, well, how'd you learn that? I go, I've been listening. <laughs> I've been listening to you guys talk. I've been listening to what you've been sharing. We need people that we do this with. We just hang out with them and just listen to what they say. And it could be a younger person, older person, as long as they've got some spiritual place <laughs> where, they're, where they're more mature. Usually it's younger, <laughs> it's younger with an older person, but it doesn't always have to be. But we spend time learning. How did the disciples learn to minister? They spent four years with Jesus watching him. Just watching him. Okay, what does Jesus do when this happens? What does Jesus do when this happens? What does Jesus do when this person does this? What does Jesus do when he's attacked? They watched him for four years and learned how to be like him. This is important for us as Christians. You know, do we have that ability to look at somebody and say, how does that person react? How does this person, when they're attacked, how do they react? When they're sharing the gospel, how do they react? When people aren't being nice to them, how do they react? And we look and we be able to say, oh, that's a godly person. They're, they're acting right. Or that person's not godly, whichever way it might be. But we're also to be those examples to people and be able to live up. And Paul says, he's my, basically, he called him my son in, in the Lord. And he says, he cares. And I love it. He says, he cares for you. He has the same love for you that I have for you. And, you know, pastors have this love for their church. Because if they're a good pastor, they're going to love their people. They're going to not want to see their people hurt. They're going to be grieved when their people are in pain, when they're having problems. They're going to want to see them grow. And Paul says, I'm going to send you Timothy because he has that same attitude. He wants to know where you are spiritually. He wants to know how you're doing. And Paul's saying, I'm looking forward to his report. Paul had good confidence that he was going to have a good report from the Philippians that they were following God, they were following after him. Do you realize an interesting thing if you think about these churches that Paul writes to? Paul only spent about three or four years in each of these churches. And then he left to go start another church. So their pastors in these churches were not long-term trained individuals. They were fairly new Christians if you think about it. They had only been saved for three or four years and I'm sure they were with Paul wherever he went, whoever was going to be groomed to be the pastor was with Paul all the time. This is what you do in this situation. This is what you do. Well, you're going to watch me. You're going to see how to do it. But he would put a relatively young person in God in charge of a church, which is why he kept writing all these letters back to them. I've heard this about you. I've heard this about your church. You know, this is what you're doing good. This is what you need to correct. And there's probably many more letters that we never saw. In, in the, didn't, that weren't scripture. They were just encouragement to young pastors. We know that in Corinthians, God at least four letters because he refers to letters we don't have in his letters to the Corinthians. And we know there's at least four letters just to the Corinthians. So we want to just look at this. Who is your discipler? Every one of us needs somebody who is our discipler. That when we have a spiritual question, we go to. When we have a need in our life and how do I react in this situation, we've got somebody we go to. We need that person in our life, period. It's something we need. I have people in my life that are that way. 
that will pray for me, that will guide me, that when I have questions, I ask them. Now, the more mature you are with God, the less you need your discipler above you, but you still need one. Always will need one. Many pastors get to a place where they go, well, I'm, I'm it. I'm, the, I'm at the, 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 the pinnacle. I don't have anybody. I can, nobody's going to answer my questions. And if they do that, they're foolish. Because in, at the very least, you need somebody to pray for you beyond your, your church. But you need somebody that you can just share with and say, hey, I've got this question. I, need this, I have this need. But besides that, we all need somebody that we are discipling. We all need somebody that we are teaching and guiding in Christ. Because if you're always being fed and you're never pouring out to somebody, all you're learning is a bunch of knowledge and it doesn't do you a bit of good. We need people that we pour into. Now for many, it should and probably is the primary being their kids. That they pour into their kids and disciple their kids. But for those of us who are old and our kids are on their, on their own, <laughs> we need to find other people to pour into and say, this is, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help, help you grow. I want to help you make good decisions. Now, they have to want it, of course, <laughs> to make it work. But we need to be looking at that. Who is your discipler and who are you discipling? Very important. Because you need to pour your life into somebody. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest thing in the world is to pour your life into somebody and watch them grow in Christ. And I see it in many different people. I've seen it in my kids. I've seen it in the other people that I've poured my life into and said, here, grow. And you watch them grow. You watch them make better decisions in their life. And then they'll come along and go, well, I'm just miserable. Nothing's going right. I'm going, look, you just made this decision last week. What would you have done a year ago? You know, you've grown so much. And we need to keep that in mind. It is so easy for us to judge ourselves as failures. And Satan loves to come up and tell you how much of a failure you are. No, you haven't done this. You're not perfect. You've made this mistake, and you made this mistake. Don't listen to Satan. If you're trying and you're growing, be very grateful because you're growing. You're making better decisions today than you would have last year or two years ago. Praise God, you're growing. Maybe, maybe you're not growing as fast as you might even want to, but you're growing. Be very please that you're growing spiritually because Satan wants to stop us. You know, it's been very interesting. This has been a very interesting week for me as we started the way of the, evangel uh, way of the master evangelism thing, how much Satan has thrown attacks my direction and at this church. You know what? He doesn't want us to learn evangelism. He does not want the people in this church to start evangelizing for the kingdom of God. And there's going to be attacks there's going to be a lot of attacks for the next eight weeks while we're doing this class. Be ready for it. Understand it. Know that it's happening. Because when God moves, Satan doesn't just stand still and say, well, I'll just let, I'll just let God move and defeat me again. He's going to try to defeat what's going to happen. This isn't just in this course. It's on anything that you do of a spiritual nature. If you decide you want to pray more, I'm going to set my clock at an extra half hour early and get up at half hour early in the morning and pray. That first morning, your alarm clock's either not going to go off or you're going to keep hitting the snooze bar and not get up. The power's going to go on and turn your whole electric off so the alarm clock doesn't go off and you get up late for the next event. And then you're going to think, oh, well, I missed that. So, And then the next day and the next day and you never start praying. 
Anytime you do something that is spiritually oriented, be ready for the attacks. We've been working on learning memory verses. How hard has it been to learn these memory verses? How many trials come up every time you want to pick that up and read it a little bit? Satan does not like it when the kingdom of God advances. Be ready. The more God moves spiritually, the more Satan will come against it. Now, when I say Satan, I don't mean we're getting Satan here in our own, our, our little town. We're probably not that important to Satan. But he will send more and more forces this way the more we follow God. And you know what? If for somehow we got a great big revival going on here, who knows who we would draw the attention of in the, in the, in the spiritual battles. But I'm just giving you warning. As we move forward spiritually, be ready. Be ready for the attacks and realize where they're coming from. Eyes open are the most important thing that you can have because otherwise you get blindsided and all these bad things happening going, why, why are these bad things happening to me? Why is life becoming so rough? Satan doesn't like where things are going. And if he can discourage us and stop us, he wins temporarily. He's going to lose in the end no matter what. But he can discourage people and stop them from coming. At the end of the way of the master, they get on the, they get on the, the video and they go, now you've just started learning evangelism. Don't be surprised when things come up next week when it's time to go, go to the class. Don't be surprised when you have car troubles. Don't be surprised when you have people wanting to schedule events to you so that you can't that, that conflict with it. Why? Because it's a spiritual activity. And if he can stop us from doing a spiritual activity, he will. What will keep you from serving God? This is a question I've asked people before. And I don't expect anybody to answer out loud, but think to yourself. What will keep you from serving God? Family members coming and planning a picnic, a party, uh, feeling a little queasy to your stomach when you first get up, having a fight with your wife or husband before you get up and come to church. You know, Satan knows what will keep you from coming to church, and he will put those things in those. He knows what will keep you from serving God, and he'll provide those activities to stop you. Be prepared. Be ready. Keep your eyes open and know that when these things happen, Satan is trying to put roadblocks in your path. Be ready to serve him. Enjoy serving him. One of the greatest things that I have ever had in my life is just to serve God. Now, you people, well, you're the pastor. Well, I've always enjoyed it even before I was pastor. I have just loved God's people. I have loved ministering to God's people. I love teaching. I love discipling. It's just what I enjoy doing is serving God in whatever capacity he's allowed me to serve him. And then beyond. It, it's never seemed like a torture to me you know, to come to church. You know, people ask me, what will it take you to come, not, not come to church? The hospital. <laughs> Pretty much. In the last 14 years, the only, service, only Sunday morning I have missed, I was actually literally picked up <laughs> and taken to the hospital. <laughs> Why? Because being with God's people is so important to me and I love being with God's people. It's not a question when I wake up, am I going to church? It was the same thing with my kids. They, they go, well, do you have to go to church? They go, yeah, we're going to go to church. <laughs> Dad's not going to let us go, not go to church. It is what we do. What can stop us? What can stop us from reading our Bible each day? 
And we know we encourage everybody, read your Bible, follow a schedule. What can stop you from reading the Bible? It's between you and God. This is our food, our spiritual food. It's amazing to me how easily we can be stopped from eating the Bible and how hard it would be to stop eating our physical food. Most of us in the morning or by afternoon at the latest are wanting some food in our stomach. And we'll do what it takes to get food in our stomach. And yet there are people that go days without feeding their spirit. What will keep you from doing what God has asked you to do or wants you to do? The enemy knows. <laughs> the enemy knows how, how to get you tied up, how to keep you from praying, how to keep you from reading the word of God, how to keep you from saying what you need to say in front of people. We need to be able to share the gospel with people, and yet most of us are afraid to share the gospel. Yeah. What are we afraid of? Well, they might not like us. They might think we're being pushy. They might think it's too personal to talk to them about the gospel. And we take those, we take those excuses and we say, okay, you can go to hell, no problem. You, know, you might not like me, go to hell. I'm trying purposely to shock us on this because that is literally what we're saying if we don't witness to them. I don't love you enough or care enough about you, you can just go to hell. This is important for us to be able to share the gospel. You know what? I'd rather have somebody not like me because I shared the gospel with them than to not like me because I sent them to hell or allowed them to go to hell. Now granted, God will put somebody else in their path. Why take that chance? Maybe you were the last one that was going to be their opportunity to hear the gospel with. We were talking earlier about how many people have died in this town in the last month. Each one of those individuals thought that they had time left in this world. Every single person believes that they have time. When somebody dies, they have plans. They have doctor appointments. They have people that they were planning to meet with. They have family events that they were going to do. And they died. Quickly. We don't know that we have another day to share the gospel with somebody. We can't say, well, maybe I'll share the gospel with them next week. I'll get, I'll get myself all worked up. I'll be able to share with them next week. Well, number one, you probably won't. But even if you did, you're not guaranteed to be around next week. It's important for us to take and seize the moments that we have and share the gospel. Get into the word and study the word. Get to know the word. Feed yourself spiritually. Keep moving forward because we don't know what's coming our way. Paul says, I'm sending you Timothy because I want to know how you're doing. I want to hear the good report that you're growing. That's one of the great things when you leave somebody and you go, okay, God's moved me on. I want to hear good things from where I where I poured my life in. I have a great advantage in my life because I very rarely change churches. <laughs> Usually when I'm in a church, it's for 10 years or more. Why? Because God says you're here, pour into people's lives. You know, I left College Park five years ago and I'm really still interested in where they're at, where they're going. Sometimes I'm distressed by what I hear. Sometimes I'm joyed by what I hear. But I'm like, Paul, I've poured into your lives. I'm looking for where you're going. The church before that I spent 10 years in. Yeah. Do we spend time with God long enough to really develop relationships? There are many Christians who stay in a church for about two to three years and they jump to another church. And then they hear something happen or something happens and they'll jump to another church. 
they're called church hoppers and they hop church. You know, they stick around until somebody says something that offends them or the pastor says something that offends them. And then they'll go to another church where they've fallen in love with everybody and then something will happen and they will jump the leave. I'm going to encourage people, don't do that unless God tells you to move. Not because anybody's special, but because you need the discipline of iron sharpening iron. We all need people who eventually will irritate us and knock off some rough edges off our flesh. We don't like it. It doesn't feel good. We might even get mad at them temporarily. But you know, when they knock off that little rough edge and that fine edge of the gets filed down, it makes you better in the long run. If nothing else, you learn how to deal with irritating people. <laughs> you know, most of us don't want to learn how to deal with irritating people, but you know, there's plenty of irritating people in this world and we need to learn how to d deal with them. But you know what? As much as you've been, been irritated, you've probably irritated some people yourself at some point in time where you've said something or done something that's irritated people. It's part of living amongst other people. They're going to irritate you. It is just life. We are all sinners saved by grace, and we're all dealing with other sinners saved by grace. And we're going to irritate each other. We're going to, we're sometimes we might even do it on purpose even. I've seen people that do that things, kind of stuff on purpose. We still need to do it. Need to love them. Need to care. Paul is saying, I poured my life out to you. I'm sending Timothy. I want to hear about your good news. I want to hear that you're growing. I want to hear that you're still following God in a strong way. And it says, for all seek their own and not the things of Christ. Now this all does not necessarily mean all and every single person because there are people who will follow God in many situations. But you know, every one of us at some point in our life will seek what's best for yourself. No matter how much you want to serve others, no matter how much you care, pastors will do this, deacons will do this, Sunday school teachers will do it, they're pouring their life out but eventually they will do something that is for their own sake and not God's sake. Not even necessarily on purpose, just because we're sinners. <laughs> and like, well, I really don't want to do this, God. I'm going to do what I want. And there's consequences for doing what you want instead of what God wants, but we all do it. And we've shared this before. There's consequences. Anytime you do sin or not what God, don't do what God wants, there's consequences. Just be aware of it. You know, so many times we think there's no consequences for sin because we look at some people and we don't see the consequences. We see the, the wealthy, unsaved person seeming to get everything. The big house, all the cars, all the glory, all the fame. And we go, man, they've got everything. Well, you know, well, God, why isn't anything bad happening to them? And they go, you don't know what's going on in their heart. You don't know what's going on in their life. You know, if you get to ever know some of those people, you'll find out how really depressed they are. You don't even have to get to know them. Just read the newspaper 10 years from now and watch that they committed suicide or, or they're, you know, they're strung out on drugs and alcohol because they're so depressed because their life is miserable. The people that we think are so wonderful, they got everything all put together, will end up being strung out and, and, or drunk or commit suicide because they're so miserable because of what we think, if we just think, if I had everything they did, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If you're not happy with God, wherever you're at, you won't be happy with God, without God, with everything. And you won't be happy with nothing. Paul said, I have learned to be content with much and with little. Why? 
because his contentment was in Christ. Not the possessions. If we need things to be happy, we're in trouble. Because nothing will be enough. Nothing will be enough. If you need things to be happy, nothing's going to be enough. You'll be happy with that new car for a couple years until the new brands come out. Well, my car doesn't do whatever the new car does. It doesn't drive itself. It doesn't fly. It, whatever it might be, you know, it doesn't do it. I'm not happy with my car anymore. Look at my TV. It's a wonderful TV. It shows me everything I want to see. But it's not as good as the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. You will never be happy with stuff because it'll always change to something greater. But when you're happy with God, it doesn't matter what else you have. Very important for us. Be happy with him because he is our everything. You know, our memory verse that we're working on, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. We do not want to be leaning on what we think is right. For one thing, what we think is right is fleshly. And when we think in the flesh's term, we are going to be wrong, no matter what. How many decisions have you made in your life that was based on your own understanding? <laughs> Don't answer that, because I've, I've done it plenty of times myself. Made it on my own understanding, and then go, man, why did I make this decision? Sometimes, because I even knew better, and going, I knew the verses that said, "Don't do this." And I still leaned on my own understanding. I've been there. I know that everybody in this room has been there. And if you haven't been there, you're lying or you really haven't done anything in your life at all. <laughs> One of the two. You never made a decision or you're lying to saying that you've never made a decision based on your own understanding. We've all done it. How many of us have made decisions on business and, and, and work without ever praying? God, what job should I? Oh, going to take the first one that pops up in my head. This one popped in front of me. It's got to be God's will. Do we pray about that? Have we prayed about where to live? Most of us haven't done much of praying about where to live, what to do. Maybe we prayed about who to get married to if we were saved at that point in time. Some people do. Some people don't. You know, but we look at this. How much is he involved in our life? In Thessalonians, we're told, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're praying every single moment, but it does mean that we're praying about every decision that we go into. You know, God, what is it you want me to do? Where should I go today? Who should I see today? Who should I talk to today? God, give me the opportunities. Yeah. How many times have you been in a place, and I, I love this when it happens, you're just someplace... And all of a sudden, you have a divine appointment from God where you get to share the gospel with somebody. Those are so wonderful when you just happen to be at the right place at the right time to share. Or maybe it's just to minister and comfort somebody. They're really having a hard time, and you just happen to be the one that's right there to bring God into their, situ into their situation. Divine appointments. Especially good when you think about the other places that you could have gone at that time. I'm here, and I had really planned on going someplace else. And here I am, God, thank you. You put me at the right place at the right time. Listening to God, following his plan, and looking at where he was. And it says there's many people will seek their own. And we're going to stop here a lot earlier than I thought. <laughs> Let's go ahead and close in prayer. 
Lord, we just thank you for this day. Lord, we ask you to help us to see what you would have us to see each day. Lord, teach us to be more aware of the spiritual world. Teach us to be following you. Lord, if there's anybody listening that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that they come to you, recognize that they are a sinner, they deserve punishment, and that you died, and, and ask for forgiveness and repent and come to you. Lord, for anybody in this church, we ask and challenge them that they will seek you more and more this week, and they will be willing to open up and listen and follow your will. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.